It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. From props to parlays to totals and spreads, it's time for Odds and End Zones, a feature of the Fans First Sports Network. It's time to sweat it out. Here's your hosts, Ian St. Clair and Adam Malnati. Well, Ian, we're going to kick this off with a not surprising start. Pun intended, by the way. The uh, Broncos finally have a kicker. Uh, Apparently, it's not Brett Maher, so you don't have to worry about how you pronounce that. And instead, it's Will Lutz, as they traded for Will Lutz from the New Orleans Saints, which quite frankly, isn't a surprise that we're starting the show with it because it's funny or that the Broncos even did it. So there you go. Seventh round pick for Will Lutz. And it's another New Orleans Saints player, former player who played with with Sean Payton, now comes to the Broncos. And Will Lutz is a reliable, consistent, good kicker. Now we'll see how he transitions from being in the Mercedes Superdome to outdoors, but I, I, you know, he's a consistent, reliable, good kicker, and the Broncos have that now. Yeah, and clearly that's a Sean Payton comfortability thing, right? I mean, he's comfortable with him. Do whatever you got to do. So there's that. And then now we are lucky enough that we're, we can move on from that, and I guess we can talk about a big moment in Broncos history that definitely needs to be spoken about, but. I will throw a caveat on there. I'm not going to officially celebrate until things are officially official. But Randy Gratishar seems to be headed to the Hall of Fame. He is uh, one of the uh, finalists for the senior committee selection. And generally speaking, everyone says it's mostly a formality. They have He has to go through the voting process and it needs 80% of the vote. But uh, everybody always gets in, blah, blah, blah. I'll celebrate when it's time to celebrate. However, it does feel like we are going to get a chance to see something that we've been begging for for years as Broncos fans. It's a big moment. And I, for the moment, I wanted to get the best person possible to comment on it, which was Jim Sakamano. So I reached out to him 
to, to do an interview about what this moment means for the Broncos, for the Orange Crush defense. And as a guy who spent 36 years as the head of public relations for the organization and is now a team consultant and historian, Jim Sakamano is the was the was the right guy to go to. And he, as always, delivered. And he had a perfect quote where he said, this is on par with the induction of Floyd Little and John Elway. And it's 100% true because the Hall of Fame is finally getting a member of the Orange Crush defense into the Hall of Fame. A guy who should have been there 30 years ago should be finally getting his recognition. And I, I totally get the pause. It's similar to how you're viewing the season with Sean Payton. I think a lot of Broncos fans are taking that cautious, optimistic holdout. Let's see what happens first before we get carried away. But I, I'm in the mo because Jim Sakamoto, because I said the same thing that you said in my lead up to, to Jim asking him about Randy being inducted into the Hall of Fame. And he said, well, it's basically a formality. He said it would be like the Electoral College electing its own president. It's just not going to happen. Wow. So we don't want to get into politics. No, oh, oh, oh. you got a little chill there. But I, I, it's a huge moment. It's a huge moment for him, him being Randy Gratishar, a huge moment for Tom Jackson and Billy Thompson and the other members of that Orange Crush defense for Joe Collier who is in his 90s now. It, it, it's just it, it's a massive moment for Jim Sakamano, for the organization as a whole, because you have other members of, of, of Broncos defenses in the Hall of Fame with Steve Atwater and Champ Bailey. And the thing that's important to point out now is it potentially opens the opportunity to have the discussion for Louis Wright. That's a, a really important point, and it's interesting you mentioned Tom Jackson. Uh, I did see somewhere that when when asked about it, Tom Jackson said it was well-deserved, obviously, for uh, Randy Gratishar. Uh, Tom Jackson had sort of – he became the face of that defense uh, through his media presence. And we've talked all along about how getting into the Hall of Fame a lot of times in the NFL is about what is your media presence? What do, what do people see of you? Which is why I think one of the things that surprises me – uh, is that it took so long for an Orange Crush defense member to get in because Tom Jackson was out there. And it wasn't like he was out there in the same way that, say, Steve Atwater was, right? Steve was on local media, uh, very sort of limited uh, exposure, but but some. And he eventually got in. It took too long, but he did get into the Hall of Fame. Tom Jackson was on the most watched NFL show in the country for years, he and, and, and Chris Berman did this show forever and ever and ever. And people knew who Tom Jackson played for. They knew what he was about. And for some reason, that didn't draw people's attention to that great defense. And it didn't help anybody else. And Tom Jackson doesn't appear to be someone that people are clamoring for to get into the Hall of Fame. Unless you are someone who believes the Orange Crush defense needs more representation. But he did say... This will hopefully open the door for other members of that defense, especially a guy like Louie Wright. I think Lyle Alzado 
uh, is maybe this will, maybe not for the Hall of Fame, but maybe it'll open the door for him to get into the Ring of Fame like we've talked about. But this idea that that team, that 1977 team in particular, but that group of players is finally getting a person who represents them, that was their leader to go to Canton it is a big moment for that group of, of players for that generation. I imagine, uh, you know, talk about the old man, talk about your mom, uh, people that, uh, were in Denver and in the Colorado area during that run, during his career, they, they will tell you he was, he was great. And I, I also saw something interesting. I saw a, a, a clip and I think we talked about rich tombstone, tombstone Jackson a couple weeks ago, a clip about how, uh, he won't get into the Hall of Fame because he didn't get the same media recognition at the time of his playing days. And so we'll just have to enjoy him as fans of the Denver Broncos and know that he deserves it. Well, we don't have to say that about Randy Gratishar anymore. Hopefully, right? That's that's the idea here. And we shouldn't have had to say it. We shouldn't have to say it about Rich Tombstone Jackson. There, are, I mean, we could go on and on. The list is is long, but distinguished. So I, I'm not, I'm not going to get into it, but it is hopefully going to be something that we can celebrate. I, I, I don't want to sound unexcited. I want to be excited. But again, like you said, I'm going to go ahead and reserve my excitement for the official announcement of the official vote that finalizes everything. That's where I'm going to go with this. And it'll happen for those who don't know the Saturday before the Super Bowl, which is happening in Las Vegas. I, I just I, I cannot wrap my head around that given how much Roger Goodell and the NFL was so anti-gambling until they realized how much money they could make from legalized sports betting. And now the Super Bowl is in a place no one would ever thought it would be. No one listening to this, no one who's been to Vegas, no one who lives in Vegas ever thought the Super Bowl would be played in Las Vegas. Money is the biggest driver of all things, period. and Especially the NFL. Especially the NFL, sports leagues in general. I remember uh, many, many years ago, David Stern, no longer with us, former commissioner of the NBA, uh, essentially saying we will never put a franchise in Las Vegas. Las Vegas always came up as a place to put a franchise for the NBA. We will never put a franchise in Las Vegas. It's too close to gambling. It was, it was this, like there was this thing about, you can't be close. Like if you put a sports team in a city where there's legalized sports betting, that they would, that sports team would become immediately corrupt. I, I always thought that was such a weird leap to make, but that was the idea. And all of the sports leagues sort of, fell in line with that major league baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL. And now you look at it, we get the Vegas Knights and the NHL, uh, the NBA Just does so much Stanley Cup. <laughs> won a Stanley cup. The NBA does so much stuff with Vegas. There was like the Vegas league or whatever, where they, but they played summer league stuff in yeah, Vegas. The summer league. It, it's like the, the NBA, the NFL, major league baseball, NHL, everybody is figuring out that the money that you can make by tying yourself to sports gaming, to, to the, to the betting world is, is really, it's too much to ignore. And the integrity of the sport, which I just put in air quotes that nobody can see because this is a podcast, 
the integrity of the sport is BS. It's never, it's never been about integrity. Sports is about entertainment and it's about making money. And so the people who give you the whole integrity of the sport, gambling ruins it, BS. They do so because it's a line that they've been fed by the leagues themselves for years and years and years. And now the legalization of sports betting throughout the country makes it so that these entities see the dollar signs and that is where the integrity of the sport goes. It goes to the dollar signs. It doesn't go to, well, we've got to keep the sport clean. And and guys like Shoeless Joe Jackson and Pete Rose, uh, Pete Rose deserved to be uh, banned from baseball. He bet on his own team. But guys like Shoeless Joe Jackson, uh, who banned for life, guys like Calvin Ridley, what are we doing with that? I mean, it just, it's so stupid. The whole thing is dumb. And, and I, I love the idea of people being able to gamble and, and do what they should be allowed to do. It just, the, the line we'd been fed for years, just, just, just pointless because it was just all about money. How much money can we make? Oh, we can make that much money. Well, fine. We'll go ahead and tie ourselves to that. It has nothing to do with integrity. I'll give you that. At least from the perspective of Roger Goodell and the owners like that there are still there there are still integrity issues involved in it and and I think there always will be but it's just it's fascinating how quick the tune changed when they realized how much money they could be making it's yeah it's it's all it's all fake right it's all it's all pretend all the outrages pretend until uh they don't want to be outraged anymore and and we accept it and live with it because we love to watch football and we love our Denver Broncos. And we do, I mean, you know, I get it. That's, we accept it because we are um, tied to it in a way that is emotional, right? It's our, it's how we grew up and it's the things that we are uh, most interested in. And I suppose that happens for people with other hobbies and other things that they do. And so I get it, but it does, you'd look at it and you just go, man, I I just can't believe that it was that quick, but actually, yes, I can. I can believe that. So, all right. We do have news, right? We have we have sports Broncos news that is actual team news. And, and I think the big one that we have to talk about that isn't trading for Will Lutz is the trade of Albert O. Albert O is being traded to the uh, Philadelphia Eagles for, did I, did I see this right? Is it a sixth round or fifth round? I can't remember. It is a sixth round pick. Sixth round pick. And we never have to hear broadcasters butcher his name ever again. He's only been in the league like four years, three years, whatever. And we still can't get broadcasters to state his name right. Albert Okwu Egbunam. You think you would go to Albert O and say, how do you officially pronounce your name? Oh, you don't need to. You can just Google it. Or just go to Patrick Smythe or someone on the Broncos PR team. How do you say this guy's name? Albert Okwu Egbunam. But now he's a Philly thing. We don't have to worry about broadcasters butchering his name anymore. Yeah, and it's it's an interesting move. Obviously, the Broncos got everything they could out of him for this trade. Uh, they were going to waive him. That was the early report. And then Philly kind of swooped in and said, well, 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 maybe we'll give you a draft pick for him because, you know, they wanted him, which I get. Because if you watched Albert over the course of this preseason, the, the dude balled out. He... Especially in the last preseason game. He, he was incredible in the last preseason game. And I, I was at a point watching that game where I was I was rooting for him to be awesome. 
because the the biggest sort of I, I think the, the biggest problem with Albert O is that for whatever reason, Nathaniel Hackett didn't like him. And maybe it was the blocking. If you look at what Mark Schlereth talked about uh, earlier today, uh, you know, on cut day or whatever. Yeah. He, he probably didn't fit the blocking scheme and you probably could get um, the offensive weapon and the ability to block and all those things with other guys. And so you don't need to keep him. I get all that. That's fine. But the dude's an offensive weapon. And if you think about tight ends that can have an impact in the red zone, guys that, that are big, strong, can go up and get the ball, have some speed and agility and whatnot, he, he fits that mold. He really does. Is he – I'm not saying he's Rob Gronkowski. And I, I'm not even putting him in that, you know, Jimmy Graham stratosphere where, you know, his, in his great years he was just going up and dunking on guys and whatnot. I'm not doing that. But he's clearly an offensive weapon that Philly looked at and said, yeah, Jalen Hurts would probably love to throw to this guy every now and then. That's a, that's a big target in the red zone. That's something we can use. That's a guy that can that can do things offensively that we need, and we don't have to have a blocking tight end because we've already got that. So Denver sort of got what they needed, but, but the fact is I think it's another sort of finger-pointing moment at Nathaniel Hackett who couldn't figure out how to incorporate someone that talented into his offense that was supposed to be an amazing offense. And Sean Payton comes in. He's got his own way of doing things, his own system. He's going to make it work. And I'm not going to judge what Sean Payton did with Alberto because it's a guy who probably was on his radar as far as a cut very early on. So whatever Sean Payton decided to do, as I've said all along, whatever he decides to do, that's fine. I believe that Alberto is going to be successful in Philly to the point where Someone in your fantasy league is going to pick him up in week five or six and roll him out there as a tight end for a few weeks and get eight to 12 points out of him and win a few weeks because of Albert O because Philly will utilize him the way that he should be utilized. And Denver never did. And not just Nathaniel Hackett, but mostly Nathaniel Hackett on this one. And I'm all for ripping on Nathaniel Hackett yeah. because he was incompetent. He it, it just no business being a head coach. And we've talked about it. I wish Sean Payton wouldn't, would not have walked back what he told USA today in that interview where he said everything that was completely accurate and truthful. And it got the jets in a tizzy good. So yeah, I mean, it just, it, it shows just how bad Nathaniel Hackett was. And it makes you wonder what he had against him because whatever level of sports, there's always going to be favorites and those that coaches don't like. And it, it just, th that that's what's fascinating about it. I, I Maybe he just didn't have any idea how to utilize a tight end. Maybe he didn't know what a tight end was. Well, he didn't know what a play clock was or how to use timeouts or uh, how to run an Not offense. Not kicking 60-yard field goals at the end of a game on the road. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it to me, is it just makes it another very obvious moment of this is a guy that didn't really know what he was doing as a head coach. I, and maybe he'll go be successful as an offensive coordinator. You know, some guys, I feel like that's their that's their ceiling. I think, I think Vance Joseph might be a guy like that. I think we discovered that Vic Fangio was a guy like that. I, I think Wade Phillips is a guy like that. 
your your ceiling is coordinator. Your ceiling is the guy who runs this side of the football, this part of the game, but not everything. And and maybe that's what Hackett's role is, is to be the guy that runs just that one side of the game. But I think I think I heard. Do we talk about this before? Even with the Jets, he's not even uh, he, he's not he's not even the one calling the plays in. He calls them down to the field, and then the field whoever whoever the quarterbacks coach is, I think, is calling it in to Aaron Rodgers at the Jets. So I I mean. Whatever. Nathaniel Hackett shouldn't be taking up this much time on our show. No, but I'm going to go a little bit further. He shouldn't even be an offensive coordinator. The only reason that he got to the point with the Broncos that he became a head coach was because of Aaron Rodgers. So now if it happens again, he's going to get a bump from that because of having Aaron Rodgers as his quarterback, as an offensive coordinator. He was terrible in Carolina as an offensive or, or Jacksonville, Jacksonville or wherever yeah. it was. Mm-hmm. So he was terrible there. So I and I'm not convinced Aaron Rodgers still has it anymore. We'll see. I know a lot of Jets fans are hopeful, but it's not like they're they're expecting anything. They've only been in this position since Super Bowl three. Oh, it has been a while. It, it is true. It has been a while. Uh, I, yeah, I, I think that. Uh, I, I'm not sure. I, I, as someone who sort of ended up, I think, drafting Aaron Rodgers super late in a fantasy football draft because it was like, well, I don't know who else to take here. Uh, I, I hope he has an okay season because that's who my quarterback is, but not so okay that I have to watch him play well against the Denver Broncos. Uh, the other sort of side of all of this uh, is that we continue to see the roster cuts, right? We talk about Albert O and him getting traded. Uh, roster cuts are coming. Obviously, every... Uh, every sort of guy that you probably expected to get cut is going to be cut. I, I, there's no surprises here as far as I can tell. Nothing that jumps out and goes, oh, I didn't see that coming. So it's interesting to sort of see what Sean Payton is doing with the roster, but I would also argue he's not doing anything that anybody is going to be all that surprised by. No, I, I agree with that. I, I think two surprises to make the roster – were Jaleel McLaughlin and Elijah Garcia as a defensive lineman. Both have just had tremendous uh, training camps and preseason in terms of games. And then the other bit of news that came out of the news conference news conferences out of getting the roster down to 53 on Tuesday is that Baron Browning is ahead of schedule. He's still going to be on the PUP to start the season and miss at least the first four weeks. But according to George Payton, he's ahead of schedule. Yeah, and that's huge. That's huge for the defense. That's huge for the for him in in particular, and, and his coming back to the field. So that's a, that's another place where it's not a surprise. It's not something that you are, uh, oh, I, I didn't see that coming or whatever. But more along the lines of this is a, a positive sort of turn of events here. We do see this becoming uh, helpful to the defense, and and we obviously have sat through this entire off season going into it with what I think are very similar ideas, which is uh, I'll be excited when it's time to be excited. And I will uh, believe it when I see it on the field. There's, there's nothing that's going to happen during the preseason, during any of the, the, you know, off season training, training camp, OTAs, none of it, nothing that has taken place during the course of this po- or off season has made me change that has made me go, oh, you know what? I can get excited. Although, and this is where I'm going to switch it a little bit. I am excited for the season to start. 
I, I am excited to see what exactly it is that the Denver Broncos have. Because I want to sit there and predict that they're going to be great. But I don't know that I can predict anything at all. And I, and I don't really want to. But I, I, I'm starting to get excited about what can happen. Right? The potential that is there. And what they could be. And I don't see this as a team that is gearing up to play poorly for the year so they can have a high draft pick uh, next year. I, I don't see that happening. They don't look like the Arizona Cardinals to me. <clears throat> Excuse me. Who are essentially setting themselves up to draft Caleb Williams. I don't think the Broncos are going that direction. I think that Sean Payton believes we, we have a team that can win and we're going to win now. I think that's how he goes into it. And as a fan, I appreciate that. I appreciate his mentality of we're going to win because otherwise, what are we doing? And so I'm excited about the start of the season. I don't know what it's going to be, but I am excited for things to finally get going. There is some tangible evidence that you can be excited. And it's something that we've seen through the first three preseason games. From the first one to the last one, they got better each game. Each subsequent game, the team got better. That is a direct correlation to coaching and having a competent head coach in Sean Payton and a competent coaching staff beneath him. I said it in horse tracks on Sunday. You have a competent head coach. I think we're still waiting to see about the full staff because I think there are still some questions. But there is no doubt, no doubt, Sean Payton is going to make this team better because we've already seen it from the first preseason game to the second preseason game, to the final one against the Rams. So that gives you tangible proof that you can get excited. Because if they're able to make those incremental improvements over the course of three preseason games, what are they going to be able to do over the next 10 days to get ready for the season opener against the Las Vegas Raiders?